Ah, yes. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz. I am your host, as per usual. Make sure that you write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe to the show. Also, make sure that you go back and listen to some of our other episodes. We've got a lot of great coffee conversations with some current big leaguers, Luke Farrell of the Texas Rangers, Brayden Bishop of the Seattle Mariners, amongst them. And tell your friend to tell your friend to tell another friend about the show. That's going to help us boost our metrics and be able to grow this thing organically. I said I wanted to get back on a regular recording schedule, and I wanted to start today with something that came out over the weekend. As you all know, there has been a lot of discussion between the Players Union and the owners about the proposal that the owners approved to get baseball started again. Now, we talked about last week Blake Snell in his live Twitch stream of consciousness coming out and saying why he's not going to play for any less than what he is owed. Now, that's not going to happen. The players' union already agreed to prorated salaries. I think the issue that Snell was talking about is about having it cut even further. I think that Blake Snell, even after that, goes back and realizes that what he said was not accurate. But the point still remains. Sean Doolittle's Twitter thread that we went through was all talking about health and safety and about what we don't know in regards to COVID-19. Now, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich of The Athletic were able to obtain Major League Baseball's 67-page document that MLB sent to the Players Association on Friday night. Now, Rosenthal and Drellich highlight key points amongst each of the categories that are put in the document. And the purpose of this episode is for me to go through the article and evaluate the validity of each point and whether it helps or detracts from play starting again. And when I say that, what I effectively mean is that how strong is each point that they put in there going to resonate with the players' union? So let's start off in the first category, testing. The first point put down, regular testing for all players, managers, coaches, and umpires, plus a limited number of essential staff members who come into close proximity with players. So we may not necessarily know the frequency of this based on what's put in the article, but it seems like regular testing would have to be a part of any restart protocol. Point two, MLB will monitor developments in testing and attempt to use the least invasive and fastest methods commercially available without adversely impacting public health needs. So here's something that I think is worth thinking about. There are a lot of different COVID-19 tests out there. Some of them are more effective than others. Some of them give false positives. Other give false negatives. So in order to get the top-of-the-line tests, are you really going to be able to test all of your players effectively without affecting public health? I'm not so sure that this is a valid promise. Not everybody in the country can get the most effective test right now. So how can you promise that they're going to be available to athletes? To me, that's tone deaf, and to me, that screams as a lie. But that's my opinion. That may not be the opinion of the Players Association. So we'll have to see how they react to it. Point three under the testing heading. 
The vast majority of tests will run on saliva collections, though oral or nasal swabs might be used at times. Blood samples will be taken less frequently for antibody testing. Okay, I have no issue with that. Again, I don't know the effectiveness of how you actually test the person, but if you feel like you can get the proper results from saliva tests, so be it. Point four, all players must undergo intake screening upon arriving at spring training. The screening will take place at multiple locations and at staggered times. It will consist of a temperature check with a contactless thermometer and body fluid and blood samples. Okay, that seems fine to me. Again, protocols to make sure that everybody is safe. Point five, individuals who are tested must self-quarantine at his or her spring training residence until the results of the testing are reported, likely within 24 to 48 hours. Any individual who tests positive is instructed to self-quarantine and gets treated accordingly. So, this I really like. You basically bring everybody in and isolate them once you test them. If they're good, you let them go. If they're not good, they continue to quarantine. To me, this is what you have to do in order to create a safe, contained environment. Spring training is only the first step. Point six. Asymptomatic individuals will undergo temperature checks and symptom screens at least twice daily. All individuals will undergo testing multiple times per week with results taking approximately 24 hours to report. So when they're talking about asymptomatic individuals, do they mean asymptomatic individuals who have tested positive or asymptomatic individuals who have tested negative? Because to me, if you have asymptomatic individuals that have tested positive, it seems like they would be more than likely to be in quarantine longer or just booted out entirely. So I don't necessarily think they made this clear here. I assume that it's asymptomatic individuals that have tested positive, so they're willing to at least keep the positive tests in the controlled environment until they have finished self-quarantining. At that point, they want to check them to make sure that nothing has changed. So do asymptomatic individuals pass it along to other people? Absolutely. But does the virus leave their system if they're asymptomatic? I'm not so sure. In fact, I have absolutely no idea. My knowledge of this is minimal, so I can't speak on whether I know right or wrong. Point seven, an individual with a temperature above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, other symptoms consistent with COVID-19, or in close contact with a confirmed case is subject to immediate rapid diagnostic test at a location close to the club facility. Totally cool with that. I personally think that that person needs to go into isolation and not be in contact with many people at all. But then again, you have to make sure that you take action as quickly as possible. Point number eight under the testing heading. Each club must maintain a dedicated testing area in its spring training site and MLB ballpark, as well as a dedicated isolation area where an individual who develops symptoms or learns of a positive result can isolate pending relocation to home or medical facility. So basically, as soon as they find out that you test positive, you're put into isolation. This, to me, is critical. Almost like a room in the clubhouse that becomes your home for isolation until that 14-day period is over or until you can safely depart the facility to go home or go to a medical facility. Point number nine. 
Free diagnostic and antibody testing is available to individuals who live in the same household and healthcare workers or other first responders in the club's home cities as a public service. So Major League Baseball is trying to make sure that testing is available to anybody, at least antibody testing, is available to anybody that has close contact with these individuals. Makes sense. Wish that they could do actual COVID testing meaning the tests with swabs, but I guess you have to take what you can get at this point. Next point. Each individual will conduct daily home screenings that include a personal temperature check each morning. Clubs will provide thermometers. So you have to just trust that the players are going to actually do these and not skimp on them. You have to find some way to be able to hold them to account. I think if you've gotten this far in terms of trying to get players to play, then the players are going to be able to actually follow up and do this. Any individual who reports COVID-19 symptoms or a temperature above 100 during a home screening will not be permitted to enter a club facility and must instead self-isolate and be directed to a team physician effective immediately. So that also makes sense. I'm sure that everybody is on board with that. The next point. Each club must develop procedures for isolating, transporting, testing, and treating individuals who develop symptoms. Me, I think that they should have a universal policy in place, not leave it to the teams to develop their own policy, because how do we know that everybody's going to come up with the same policy? How do we know that one policy is going to be more effective than the other? The answer is we have absolutely no idea. So to me, you have to do a universal policy. Next point. Clubs must take the following steps to minimize potential transmission. Identify all players and other employees who have had close contact and closely monitor them. Team physician may determine some or all of those who should get tested. Immediate cleaning and disinfecting of all club-controlled areas. Reinforce the importance of hygiene. So I think all of that is good. I think that you need to have a standardized policy, again, about hygiene, standard hygiene, like make sure that you wash your hands for X amount of seconds. I mean, put security cameras above that, for goodness sake. You standardize a policy on hygiene, and you are going to ensure that people start to follow it. That's my opinion. Doesn't mean it's right, but at least you've taken the step to minimize risk. And to me, that is what is most important here. Let's move on. The next point. Individuals who test positive must self-isolate with daily communication and remote care from the club medical staff, including follow-up testing. Follow-up testing at what point? Once that 14 days of isolating is done? Yes, if it's before that, hell no. Hell no. You do not bring somebody out of isolation until that 14-day period is done. End of story. If you don't put that specifically in there, then I can't agree to this. Next point. The club, in coordination with local health officials, must conduct contact tracing, clean and disinfect locations where the individual was, and confidentially notify public health authorities. Totally good by me. The final point under the testing heading. Additional precautions and accommodations will be taken for individuals identified by club as high risk. So that's pretty vague, but I'm sure in a 67-page document, Rosenthal and Drellich just decided to surmise it here. So let's move on to the next heading, which is spring training. 
Point one, limited to 50 players per club. So if you limit it to 50 players, then that means that you're going to have to isolate all those 50 players or find ways to keep all of them socially distant. Point two, for clubs that conduct spring training at Major League Parks, workouts should be staggered throughout the day to avoid overcrowding. When feasible, clubs should consider the use of another facility, such as a nearby college or minor league stadium, to conduct workouts or games on a split squad basis. So basically, what they're trying to do is limit the amount of people that actually come into contact with one another during spring training. So a split squad spring training that has a maximum of 50 players involved in the spring training. Now what's interesting reading here is that it doesn't make it clear whether or not clubs are standardized to have spring training at their facilities or whether they can have it in their own home ballparks. That's going to be a big part of this. Will there be a standardized policy or will the teams be able to decide whether or not they want to go to their own ballparks or to a spring training complex? To me, I think it would be smart for you to go to your home ballpark. That way you're able to create that environment beforehand. On the contrary, if you're going to have this supposed taxi squad of players that could replace current players on the roster, where are those guys going to be? Are you going to keep those guys in spring training like they do in the minors? Or are you going to keep those guys in the city and bring them basically from their houses to replace players that have to be taken off the roster due to COVID-19 positive testing or an injury? I personally would want to keep everybody in the same city to avoid people getting on airplanes unnecessarily. So working out your own ballpark seems like a much better idea. Next point. Reporting dates staggered with camp divided into three phases. Phase one, individual and small group workouts consisting exclusively of pitchers and catchers divided into groups of five players or fewer and assigned different times and areas of the complex. Point two, larger groups permitted for workouts in intra-squad games, still staggered times throughout the day. Point three, limited number of games. I personally don't think that you can have games at this point with 50 players in your facility. I don't think you can do it. Granted, you're going to have more players during an actual game, but if you're doing it in your own ballpark, You'll be able to spread out to two dugouts, effectively two clubhouses. So, yeah, maybe you can have it. Do you need to have games in a spring training environment before you go into a season? From a preparedness standpoint, I would say yes. From a safety standpoint and a true necessity standpoint, I would say no, it's not really that necessary. Next point. To address heat concerns, spring training games in Florida and Arizona would begin between 7 and 9 p.m. local time. Does it really matter? I think it's up to the teams. Unless you're actually playing another team, I think it's up to the teams whatever time they play it. But if you want to play them that late, go ahead. And finally, four-person umpiring crews would be used with the possibility of adding a fifth and using multiple plate umps when temperatures reach certain levels. I mean, okay, whatever you want to do, I personally think you should have spring training in your own home ballparks because especially in Arizona, 
you can have a lot of people really close to one another. And think about this. A lot of teams in these complexes share a complex. The White Sox and the Dodgers share a complex. The Rockies and the Diamondbacks share a complex. In Florida, the Astros and the Nationals share a complex. So on and so forth. You do them in your own stadiums, you reduce the risk. Now we go to facility protocols. Yay! This, I think, is going to be one of the most important headings of this document. Point one, facilities will be restricted to limited groups of essential personnel, which include players and other on-field personnel, other essential personnel who need close proximity to on-field personnel. This group includes clubhouse staff, ownership representatives, front office employees, public relations staff, and translators. Individuals who perform essential event services but do not require close contact with players and other on-field personnel. This group includes cleaning service providers, broadcast personnel, groundskeepers, transportation providers, up to 150 at any given time, and finally, law enforcement, EMTs, and ambulance drivers along with government officials. So, I honestly think that you don't need government officials unless they're government health officials. That's my view. One group that is not included in here is the media. So it seems like the media is going to end up covering games from television that only broadcast personnel and PR staff. Now, the PR staff, it's interesting because who are they conducting PR to? Is it PR from the players to the broadcast personnel? Is it players to, well, who else would it be besides broadcast personnel if there's no media? So if there's no media, that's another group entirely that is taken out of the stadium. So I think that what a lot of beat reporters probably are now coming to realize is that if there is a baseball season, you are going to have to have a baseball season without media actually there. So newspaper reporters, you have now transformed, at least temporarily, into the internet blogger that writes from their basement. Now, I'm sure that newspaper reporters and other beat reporters are not going to be happy about this, but in the end, they are not essential to be at the ballpark for the game to happen. It is essential for them to be provided quotes from the players in order for them to write their stories. I'm sure the PR staff will be able to coordinate conference calls with media and players after games so that they are able to write a full game story and get the proper quotes to bring articles to light. That's how I would do it, but then again, I'm not in charge. I'm just a guy doing a podcast. Let's move on. Minimum standards will be maintained for cleaning and disinfecting. Processes will be in place for safely distributing meals, dietary supplements, and medicine. Good. We have a standard policy. We don't know what it is, but based on the fact that this was a 67-page document, Rosenthal and Drellich are summarizing here. Next point. Communal water coolers and sport drink coolers are prohibited. Only personal water or individually prepared sports drink bottles or contactless water dispensers with disposable cups should be used. This is a critical point, making sure that you do not have a communal water source. This is how this stuff can spread. It is more wasteful, but 
making sure that you keep your drinks to yourself is going to make sure that there's no chance of a mouth-to-mouth spread. This point upcoming is crucial. No spitting, using spokeless tobacco and sunflower seeds in restricted areas. Any physical interactions such as high fives, fist bumps, and hugs must be avoided at club facilities. Spitting, unsanitary. Chewing tobacco, unsanitary. Sunflower seeds, granted, I love them, unsanitary. And basically it says, no contact with other people. That works for me. Next point. Increased availability of hand-washing and hand-sanitizing stations, preferably with contactless dispensers. So, you've got auto-soap, auto-sink, auto-towel. Again, works for me. Next point. Players and other on-field personnel should wash or sanitize their hands after each half-inning or the handling of equipment. This is going to make games take longer, but what's better? Having games take longer or no games at all? How are you going to be able to ensure that players wash their hands in the right order? So basically, let's say that you have the top third of the order due up in the bottom of the first inning. So the leadoff hitter, the second place hitter, and the third place hitter are the first three to wash their hands, followed by four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those are the guys that wash your hands in that order. And then it cycles around to the next inning. So let's say that it's 5, 6, and 7 that are due up. Then it's 5, 6, 7 that end up washing their hands first. Basically, you start the batting order from whoever is leading off and then cycle around to whoever would come up ninth in the inning. That's the process for how you would wash your hands. It's not specified here, but that's how I would imagine that they would do it. Next point, where possible, clubs will make efforts to reduce the density of individuals, discourage gatherings, and promote physical distancing, and individuals should spend as little time indoors as possible. Basically, they don't want guys in the clubhouses. You go into the clubhouse to change, and then you get out on the field and find a way to isolate so that you don't end up in an enclosed space. That, to me, makes sense. But what about showering? Well, I think we're going to get there. Next point. Lockers should be kept six feet apart. If not possible, clubs should erect temporary clubhouse or locker facilities in unused stadium space, preferably outdoors or in areas with increased ventilation. This is a good idea. It's just a matter of are you going to standardize that in every stadium? Because you could probably do it in newer stadiums, but in places like Fenway Park or Wrigley Field or, heaven forbid, the Oakland Coliseum, that might be a little bit more difficult. If you're not going to have fans in the stands, maybe you're able to put them on the concourses. Maybe in the second deck or the third deck in the concourses, you can put these little facilities inside the walkways and have players be able to enter through the edges of the stadiums, walk on one side and exit that same side so that they don't have to come into contact with anybody else. Here's the point about showering that's coming up in this article, and I want to debate exactly what this means. Showering will be discouraged at club facilities. Okay, discouraged. That doesn't mean 
banned. And this, to me, is a big problem. You cannot have people sharing showers. You want this thing to spread? You want people to come in contact with one another? Don't make the language to the point where you can stretch it legally. Say that it is not allowed. That's all you have to do. Say that it is not allowed. Don't say discouraged. Language is important here. Say that it is not allowed. And that way, there's no wiggle room. Next point. The use of indoor batting cages is discouraged when hitting outdoors is an option. Hitters are encouraged to use batting gloves and batting practice pitchers are encouraged to wear masks. No problem with this. But again, just say that you're not allowed to use indoor batting cages. All I'm saying, just don't use them. Say they're not allowed. Take it to the extreme. People might think it's extreme, but every precaution is necessary to ensure maximum safety. Next point. Pitchers will use a personal set of baseballs during bullpen sessions and separate balls to demonstrate pitching grips or mechanics. I like this. That way the catcher doesn't come in contact with the baseball. The catcher just has to make sure that they don't touch the inside of their mitt. So no pounding inside of their mitt. That's all you got to do. The pitcher goes, picks up his own baseballs, and that's done. Next point. Only necessary players will be in dugouts. Inactive players may sit in auxiliary seating areas, including adjacent in-stadium seating, to maximize physical distancing. So basically, those guys are effectively going to be fans. Dugout phones will be disinfected after each use. Makes total sense. Who's going to disinfect them? Is it going to be one of the coaches? 1,000% has to be. Group dining is discouraged. Buffet and communal food spreads are prohibited. Meals must be distributed in individually packaged containers or bags in takeout form. How about group dining is prohibited? Take it a step further. Again, take it all a step further. Ensure maximum protocols are taken. And finally, uses of saunas, steam rooms, hydrotherapy pools, and cryotherapy chambers are prohibited. This makes a ton of sense. So let's go to on-field operations. First point, changes to rules for the 2020 season are pending. Incredibly vague. Lineups will be put into an application instead of the exchange of lineup cards. Electronics, no spread. I like it. When the ball is out of play or in between pitches, fielders are encouraged to retreat several steps away from the base runner. So, what this is going to mean is that you're going to have less pickoff plays because players have to stay further away from each other. So this is really the first thing where you're going to see a fundamental change in how the game is played. If you have to stand further away from the base runner, then that means pickoff plays are going to be discouraged. That might mean that once the pitcher comes set, a fielder can come close to the runner, but again, we don't have a clear enough definition on what this rule is. Next point. Catchers are permitted to step on the grass toward the mound to give signs if he needs to stand to relay signs to infielders. I have no problems with this. Next point. Non-playing personnel must wear masks at all times in dugout. Have to. 
You absolutely have to do this if people are going to be in the dugout. And finally, spitting is prohibited. Thank goodness. Now let's go to travel. Teams should control their environments as much as possible. Use of public transportation and individual private transportation, rideshare services like Lyft and Uber, is discouraged. So the teams want to make sure that they have control over how the players get from point A to point B. This way, you know where your players have been and how they're getting from place to place so that there's no unknown variable that comes into the equation. Point two, whenever possible, teams are to fly into smaller airports. The league's desire is for airlines to assign fixed airline crews rather than rotate crews in and out. So basically, you're going to have one flight crew the entire season. That way, the same people come into contact with the same people. I like it. But why not take it a step further and charter private planes? Why not? You have the money to do so. Just charter a private plane. That way you make sure that the environment is contained the entire season. Next point. While players will not officially be quarantined, members of the traveling party are not to leave the hotel unless they receive advanced approval from team personnel. The only people permitted to visit players' rooms are immediate family members. Socializing with other family members or friends is discouraged, but not entirely prohibited. So, I think you need to say that socializing with other family members is completely prohibited. Again, you need to make sure that you take the variables out of the equation. Next point. On the road. Players should essentially isolate hotels with precautions such as prohibition on buffet-style meals in place. Luggage will be sent directly to players' rooms to avoid extra touch points, and players will not need to return a key or visit the front desk upon checkout. Meal money should be delivered to players in a form other than cash. So, deposit money into players' bank accounts. Just like you do at normal work, do direct deposit. That's simple, it's contactless, and they have the money. Next point. At teams' home cities and in spring training cities, players can stay at their desired locations as long as they follow the best practices such as avoiding public areas. Players want to be near their families. Players want to be in their own homes. It's going to be a lot easier to control what the players do on the road as opposed to at home. How are the players getting to the ballpark from their house? Are they driving their own cars? Or are you providing another form of transport for them to get to the ballpark that you can monitor? Effectively, players have got to be on the honor system. Or it's their loss and everybody else's. Is this too big of a risk to take? Depends upon who you are. There are some people like Charlie Blackman that are going on radio shows and saying, yep, it's worth the risk, this is what I signed up to do, and I will continue to play baseball. Or there are others like Sean Doolittle who want to make sure that every maximum precaution is taken. And finally, the last point in the article, MLB plans to develop a COVID-19 education program that all team employees will need to complete before returning to work. Players and umpires are to go through the program as well. And there are a couple of graphics that are representing where everybody should stand or sit in the dugouts and the stands and how players should stretch during pregame warm-ups. So there's a lot that we know. There's a lot that we don't know. My biggest issues are the following. You need to make sure that all of these practices are standardized so that everybody follows the same protocol. 
if you have differences, that's where you're going to see problems. And if there are more problems in one place than another place, you can almost be assured that there will be problems. If you have any comments on the safety protocols, please email them to me, greg.maraz at yahoo.com. As always, this has been a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Again, I appreciate you all listening to this show, a breakdown of all of the safety protocols. Are they good? Are they not? I think they're good for the most part, but I think they need to take all of them a step further. Have a great Monday, everybody, and as always, we will catch you in the AM.